Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. Today is March 12th, 2018. I am Rollo McFlugel and with me is Slappy Jones 2 and we are both at McFlugel.com. The show notes page for this episode is McFlugel.com slash 82 where you'll be able to find links to the things we're talking about as well as links to ways to subscribe to this podcast and check us out on social media. And I know in the last few weeks we've been promising something really cool and, well, actually, probably this episode's going to be cooler than what I'm promising at the end, but stick around. <laughs> We're finally making that announcement at the end of the episode. So let me hand it over to Slappy, and he's going to introduce this episode and our guest. Thank you, Rallo, and thank you, everyone, for listening to us today. Last week, Rallo and I discussed a bit of an episode of the Unregistered Podcast where Thaddeus Russell and Dave Smith talked about several ideas, natural rights, postmodernism, objective truth, natural law, among other things. And uh, Raul and I um, talked about that last week. I guess you could say we disagreed with Thaddeus Russell, but, um, you know, not totally. Anyway, this week we are honored to have as our guest Thaddeus Russell with us today to discuss these topics. So for those of you who don't know, Thaddeus Russell earned his Ph.D. from Columbia He's the author of A Renegade History of the United States, founder of Renegade University, host of the Unregistered Podcast. He's been on Cable News, Joe Rogan Experience, School Sucks Podcast, Tom Wood Show. And now that he's on the Rallo and Slappy Show, that pretty much completes it for all the podcasts that you need to be on. So welcome to the show, Thaddeus. Thank you so much. I'm honored. Well, thank you. So... You know, you, you kind of reached out to us, like, and you said you'd listen to it and uh, our podcast. And the first thing I guess I want to start out with is, did we get anything wrong about what you think? Did we you misrepresent, know, kind of misrepresent you? any of your uh -huh. ideas? Well, you got everything wrong, but you, didn't get, <laughs> but you didn't get anything wrong about what I said. Well, I don't know. Well, let's, let's talk through this. Uh, yeah, I mean, you were completely wrong about everything, but that's okay. That's why I'm here. No, um, I just want to say the reason I reached out to you was that what happened was I was folding laundry on Saturday night and I was all by myself and uh, I guess I got a notification on email or something that my name had popped up somewhere and, and I'm trying to remember this and then it said something podcast and I was like, oh, let's click on it and so I clicked on it and I saw that I was the subject of a podcast and so I... <laughs> thought, well, I'm just going to do this or fold laundry. So I clicked um, and uh, I listened to these two guys talking about me and my ideas for a, more than a half an hour. And I just love the way that you guys were taking everything I said so seriously um, while disagreeing with pretty much everything. Um, it, it, well, it just it was so let me put it this way. When I began teaching as a university professor about 25 years ago, you know, the dream was that the students would continue to talk about what we talked about in class after class, right? That's what every professor hopes for. Right. And I think very few professors get. And this is what I heard. It was sort of like, it was like your two best students getting to eavesdrop on them in their dorm room after the class. <laughs> um, and I meant, and I mean that two best students because you guys really clearly listen so carefully and think had thought already so carefully through all of these ideas. And then on top of that, you know, you 
you were sort of thinking aloud and working through these problems in a public place, meaning your pub, your podcast, and it, and I, it just, and that's really what you were doing. You weren't just sort of saying, "He's wrong." Here's the three reasons we're done. Or conversely, and this is just as uninteresting to me. Here's how awesome Thaddeus Russell was, and his points were so brilliant, and he's so right in these three ways. That's also interesting. You were really, I think, thinking through these things together. Um, and weren't really sure what the answers were, but you were just really, really curious about everything. And that's, first of all, I think that's the definition of a good intellectual. And it's certainly the definition of what I, I mean, I don't want to call you students because you're not, but like it's, it's always been my dream student is to have someone like that think that carefully about what I say. So I was truly, truly honored by, by the way you guys treated my ideas and I felt it was the least I could do to reach out to you but also I just I thought it'd be fun too to you had a lot of questions for me that were sort of unanswered in your own minds and so I thought hey the least I could do is is present myself to to answer those questions so I'm here I'm here that's why I reached out to you and I'm um, glad to be here so let's do it cool awesome thank you and I it's fair to call me a student of Thaddeus Russell that's fun <laughs> yeah absolutely I <laughs> Oh, I don't know what you are. I mean, you're not, I, I don't like fan. I don't like. Speech. Yeah, no, we don't want to kiss your ass but, either, to be honest with you. Yeah, good. Uh, Especially now you said we're wrong. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you said that because it's all bullshit what I said anyway. The only reason, <laughs> the only reason I'm here really is that you're boxing fans. Oh, no. The, the thing that I love the best, and this is actually why I reached out to you, was that the, my favorite line was something like, well, we know he can box and we know he's in good shape. So, <laughs> what would he do if he saw a child being beaten on the street? I love the hypothetical. Said, right. well, it's kind of the most flattering hypothetical. I <laughs> I'll definitely talk to these guys. <laughs> so, I mean, let's jump into that. Uh, since yeah. we're talking about it and wanted to know what you would do. Um, you're walking down the street, see uh, someone beating up on a kid. I would do push-ups because I still need to work on my pecs a little bit. And, um, yeah. So, well, let me uh, hmm, let me turn that back around on you to be annoying, but I think it's important. Um, why are you asking that? There's kind of a. I don't want to sleep for uh, speak for Slappy, although I think we kind of both think the same way. But I'm kind of of the Michael Humor camp of the moral intuitionism. So I don't think that you have a you know ethical obligation necessarily to to do it to go over there and intervene because um, you're not the one violating someone's rights. However, I think that it's just a natural inclination to feel like that you have some sort of um, I hate to call it duty because I know what that implies, but uh, a, a very strong desire to go over there and intervene because we have some sort of um, ideas of justice that are kind of innate to us. Right. Okay. So you're talking, so you've introduced two different categories, which can be, they can be merged, but so far you're not merging them. So one is um, things that are natural, intuitive things, right? That's one category. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other is m morality. And so, and it's very important to be clear about what we mean here. So if you're making a natural claim, obviously you're, you're well, maybe not obviously, but are you suggesting that, that it, we are inborn with that feeling of needing to intervene when we see a child being beaten on a street? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah. I just want to be clear about what your claim is, mm -hmm. right? And that's so right there, we've kind of, I think, accomplished probably 50% of what needs to be done here. Clarification of what we mean by these things. So mm -hmm. when, you say, when you say inborn, that's what you mean. You mean that I was born with that feeling, that, that drive, that impulse. Yes, the, uh, the tendency for it. Okay. Okay. And then, okay, that's, that's one claim. And then another claim would be, which you're not making, uh, I don't think, maybe not yet anyway, is uh, a moral claim, which is that it would be morally correct for me to intervene when I see a child being beaten on the street, which is a claim that <clears throat> all people everywhere and in all times have a moral, and you use the word duty, right, to intervene, which, and that that claim can be rooted in uh, uh, nature, right, that nature demands it, or it can be rooted in a religious claim, like God demands it, right? God obligates us to intervene when we see children being beaten in the street. Mm -hmm. Okay, so are we clear about the categories? Yes. yes. Right, so then I would ask you uh, what you believe in. Okay, um, well, I, I, I kind of have the two different frameworks kind of in play at the same time. One's kind of the, the libertarian um idea of of the rights and um the other one is i do i am a you know cat practicing catholic so i do have certain moral obligations that i hold myself to um so from the from a religious duty like i would feel that i did something wrong um by not intervening um but i don't think that it's a violation of rights politically to not intervene um, I don't. I don't think it uh, necessarily gives you direction there. At least from my my political views as, as a uh, as an anarchist. Okay, so as a cat, you say Catholic. Yes. Okay, so as a Catholic, then it's rooted in in religious doctrine, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, so you believe, and I'm not challenging at all. Sure. You believe you believe that God demands it. Yes. Right. Okay. So. That's where the conversation is over. And I mean that in the best way. Which oh, is yeah. That, I understand right? that. Yeah, which means that there's nothing I can say to you because that's your belief and there's no, there's no way I can prove it or disprove it. There is no way, in my view. Right. Now, to, to, there are athe you know, these atheists running around making names for themselves. They do believe that there's, there are rational arguments that can be brought to bear to actually disprove that claim. I think that is absurd. But anyway, that's a different story. But uh, so... So if that's your if that's your claim, then there's nothing to be done. Um, you know, I mean, there's nothing. There's no argument to be had. There's no conversation to be had, which is just fine with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To be clear, um, my religious views are because I'm I'm a very thin libertarian, so I kind of say like what you shouldn't be doing to each other, and I think that my religion just is a way for me to live the good life, to figure out a way to live the good life. So. I think there's many different ways to do that, um, but that's kind of the standard that I hold myself to. Okay, but you do think that there are certain rules that God demands that you follow, is that right? Yes, but it's not for, well, they don't necessarily um, would be ones that I would hold other people bound to. Oh, okay, that's weird to me. Right, because God only speaks for you and Catholics, 
or does he speak for everyone? Or does he, you know, I mean, are his, sorry, not he speaks for, are his rules, was his rules only apply to you and other Catholics or do they apply to everyone? No, I think they apply to everyone, but okay. um, certain thing, I don't, I think I would be doing wrong by um, intervening in some situations. Like if, you know, some, I, I'm, I'm not against drinking alcohol, I drink it myself, but if I were against drinking alcohol as a Catholic, and I believe that, um, yeah. then I wouldn't intervene as a Catholic because okay. that would, um, that would involve violating know, using violence, right? you know, using really is, is using violence and, and, uh, really kind uh, of, okay. That. Well, okay. So now, okay, great. So I kind of heard you guys saying this on your podcast last week. So what you're now saying, I think is that it would be non-Catholic or even anti-Catholic to intervene. Yes, I would okay. say so. Depen okay, now, depending okay. on the, are we talking about the kid or the alcohol? Sorry, any of God's rules to to impose any of God's rules. Uh, no, I, I think. Or some rules. There's some rules where you think it would be non-Catholic to intervene. Yes, and force force others to follow the rules. You think it would be non or anti-Catholic to do that? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Now. You do know, right? And I, you know, so you, my, here's my position. You, you could be right about that. But I'm sure you know that that has been a subject of intense debate for 2,000 years. Among <laughs> all, all Christians, really, pretty much all Christians have debated this very subject. Correct? Absolutely, yep. Yeah, okay, great. So some, there have been many, many Christians, many, many Catholics, most certainly, right? Yep. Who have intervened with every possible use of force you can imagine Correct. right don't deny that yeah sure. right Absolutely. every kind of force there is has been used to force people to you know obey god's laws yeah. right okay you happen to believe that they're wrong absolutely yes okay <laughs> okay and i don't yeah. i don't i don't claim to know for sure like i i'll put it this way i, I could be i wrong. want to be a pacifist but i'm not there yet um well, this, I don't know. I mean, so it depends. It's, it's, it's all about what you're grounding your claims in. See, that's what I'm getting at, guys. Mm -hmm. See, so you have a choice. You can ground it in nature. You can ground it in God. You can ground it in rationality or reason. Or, like me, and this is my answer to your question finally, <laughs> you can make no, no absolute claims whatsoever. So I don't. I don't say it's right or wrong, morally or naturally or according to God, to intervene or not intervene when you see a child being beaten on the street. And the same goes for natural law, natural rights. The right to free speech, to me, is an idea that was invented by particular people at particular times. And that's that. And now you can like, you can like the right to freedom of speech. You can like the First Amendment, or you can dislike it. You can choose, you can choose to live in a society that follows that doctrine mm -hmm. or, or not so it's about preference it's about choice that's all fine you know so i prefer i am happier to live in a society in which there's a first amendment than not that's it but i don't claim because i don't see any evidence for it that that idea that that human beings have a right to free speech to protection from government's interference in our speech that that is grounded in anything other than thomas jefferson's little head yeah it, Okay, so that's that's it. I actually agree with you there. Okay, great. And I I don't believe the 
um, was the Bill of Rights. I mean, I, I kind of think they're all the same there. Like, you don't have a right to bear arms, but I do believe we have property rights that we all own ourselves, or at least we have the best claim to ownership of ourselves. And what you would call freedom of speech would kind of come out from that. So you can't come into my home, or I mean, you could, and say terrible things to my wife and it's on my property and I could throw you out. You know, you don't have a right to free speech there. Um, okay, but those rights are according to whom or according to what? In other words, you don't have that right or you do have that right according to whom or according to what? I have property rights according to what? I think it's a priori. Meaning? You exist. It can be deducted rationally. Oh, I see. So you can, you can prove uh, through the scientific method right? That I have those rights somehow? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, so but, that's... So, so who uh, would... Right, but you own yourself. You own your thoughts. Well, who said? I mean, according to what? How do you prove that? Because I can't... I mean, they're yours. Even if we lived under any form of government or any kind of coercion, if you were in slavery, you still own your thoughts. It's still... What does ownership mean? You have control of them. I have control of my thoughts. My God, that's the <laughs> that's the thing I have least control over. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, so you know what I mean. I'm I'm not being pedantic asshole professor here. Like, these are not academic questions. This is actually the question at hand, right? Right, so, right, sure. When you use terms like ownership, you've got to be clear about what you mean. And when you ask questions about what you mean about things like ownership, it becomes really, really difficult. I think to to ground these claims about rights in anything. So ownership, I have ownership of my thoughts. How do you prove that? I mean, can, that means I can sell them. I mean, what does it mean? What does it mean? No one can steal them from me? Um, no one can take them? No one can use them? Can I rent them out, lease them? I mean, I'm thinking of things that I actually, that I own. In. You have ownership. Sure. No, you're, you're making perfect sense here. Well, so in other words, again, this is all about, this is what I wanted to mostly say to you guys, all the claims you're making the question is always, what do you ground them in? And so when you ground them in um, God, God's will, what you what you take to be God's will, that's great. That's awesome. Done. Because to me, that's totally safe and fine, and you could be totally right, and there is nothing I can say to you. Um, if you ground it in nature, you know, again, you could be right. I would ask you, see, with God, you're on safer ground because you can actually look in the Bible you know, and you can look and see some words written that may or may, or may not correspond. They may correspond to what you're saying. Even there, you know, as you know, there have been infinite uh, debates among believers about what those words in the Bible actually mean, right? But still, uh, yeah, certainly, at least there's something to go on there. Um, nature, like what Thomas Jefferson said, that natural rights come from nature. My goodness, I don't see them. I don't see a right to property. I don't see a right to free speech. I don't see a right to bear arms in nature. That's to me the funniest one. And then to ground them in reason or rationality, okay. Uh, I mean, that's kind of what Sam Harris and the new atheists are doing these days, is trying mm -hmm. to prove objective morality this way. Uh, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen any argument that any way to prove simply through rationality, through logic, that we have uh, freedom of speech. Um, so if you want to try to do that right now, we can. 
<laughs> I don't, you know, I, I, but so I, and it's funny, like I actually respect the religious claims more than any of the others, but we can go through them now. I mean, you want to try to demonstrate through rational uh, thinking that a priori we have, uh, uh, what is it, what'd you say, rights to our bodies? Sure. Or, yeah, yeah because, I certainly have the best claim to it. Yeah, because, and, and before I forget this point, um, is it possible to have multiple groundings or does that contradict it? Like you have several ways of looking at something and they all converge on the same conclusion sure. because that's sure. where I kind of do my a priori reasoning and also yeah. have the religious reasoning. I like to oh. keep, I actually like to keep them separate just so I can make sure that they're you know, independently going to the same thing. Cause if they well, don't, would... then something's wrong. Yeah, I would imagine if God created the entire world, he also created nature and he created uh, rationality, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, but you don't, you know, you don't need to go make those other claims if you simply believe that God says that we have the right to self-ownership. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so, but it's the, it's the nature and it's the natural and, and rational claims that really throw me, honestly, like really throw me. I actually, when I read the Declaration of Independence, I actually laugh because it's just <laughs> in the world to me. And it's what the whole country is founded on. Right. right. Uh, in nature. So where in nature do we, I mean, I haven't heard that you guys buy this one, but like where in nature do we see the right to what? Freedom of speech. Pick any of the Bill of Rights. Pick any of the rights in the Bill of Rights. Where do you see that in nature? Oh, I don't think it exists. Like it, it, it no, you can't just like look and, and, find it. Um, I think from my understanding of natural rights is that that's just kind of the term given to saying that these exist, like we can, we can rationally deduce these ideas and that they, these rights that we have or may or may not have, have always existed for every human being. And they're just, um, innate to our humanity. And that's right. the way that we explain, um, this thing. Sure. So that's an assertion, right? Mm -hmm. What you just said there. Sure. Um, these are innate. Okay, we're just fine, but that's all it is, and that's all the Declaration of Independence is, right? There's no argument in the Declaration of Independence. Am I correct? Right. Right. Just an assertion. Right. He's yeah, just asserting it. Yeah. Sure. Which, well, let's just pause for a second. Just real pause, just quickly. Like, isn't that hilarious in itself that the entire United States of America was founded on an idea that's simply an assertion? <laughs> it's simply an assertion. Hey, really, pause and think about it. It's not even an argument. Everyone agrees there's no argument in the Declaration right. of Independence. It's an assertion. Right. And it's an amazing, it's a huge, massive, crazy assertion that we are, that innately, we have these things that no one has recognized in human history until this, by the way, right? Natural rights were essentially a brand new thing in 1776 that were unrecognized, even as a concept, pretty much until that century, mm -hmm. anywhere in the world. It's pretty amazing if you step back and think about it. Okay, so, um, and then, as far as I know, the Founding Fathers never really made an argument for that. <laughs> they just continued to make the assertion, and people just started to believe it. And so now, most Americans, not most people, but most Americans, believe it, that it's just innate. Uh, so, okay, so how can we make an argument that it is innate in us that these rights are innate that they are natural that we are born with them that there is something 
fundamental about a human being. It's intrinsic in being a human being that uh, in which it is not okay or just for a government to stop us from speaking. Well, there's, there's a few points of, I guess, clarification. Um, one that is, I only really argue that there is only property rights. Um, mm. So like what, what Slappy was saying earlier. Mm-hmm. And and everything kind of comes from that. So, um, to say that, the, but to, but more generally saying that the, that the state has no authority to to make these requirements of us. Um, I think it we wouldn't. Borrowing from Michael Humor is that we kind of wouldn't allow any other anybody else to do that. It's just somehow there's a magic. The government has some some sort of magic that it has that gives it certain superpowers that other human beings don't have that, that it can, has powers of coercion. And just so, just so your listeners are clear, like I am, uh, I am for the government having no rights whatsoever over my property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're completely in line probably on the politics of this. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's the philosophy underneath it, which is actually really important though, um, mm-hmm. where we have a difference. So, so you said you can deduce, I think you said. You can deduce the fact, I suppose, of natural property rights. How do you do that? Um, I don't know. Call it here, here, because I don't know what I want to call it a fact, because I think it would be better said the best claim. Mm-hmm. Mm. Best claim. Yes. Best, best explanation. Right. What's best? Why is it best? Because I can think of no other alternative, but I don't necessarily think I can prove it. You can certainly think of alternatives. You can, there's all kinds of... Oh, no, 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 there's alternatives, but I would say, well, no alternatives that would make more... Like the claim to self-ownership. Uh-huh. Um, I don't see the alternatives other than the individual owning his own body uh-huh. that, would, that would make more sense. Okay. So, so you know what um, my favorite whipping boy, Michel Foucault, says about these things? I don't. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Not about ne- necessarily natural law, although he might. I don't know. I don't think he does, but he might somewhere. But these kinds of claims generally, and this is really useful, okay? And it's so simple. And it's not radical at all, actually. In fact, I learned it not from Foucault, but from being a historian. I learned it from my, in my first semester in graduate school at, at, in the history department at Columbia University, which is this. There's a claim of X, that X is natural, or X is good, or X is just, or whatever it is, or X is bad. And a historian, what a historian does in response to that, unlike philosophers, unlike political theorists, unlike sociologists, usually, what historians do, and this is why I actually do love my profession, historians, what they do is they say, oh, what's the history of that idea? What's the history of it? Was obviously all people weren't just born with it because we know, right? Certainly in the case of property rights, that's a new thing, right? You guys, right? Knew, right? But yeah, yeah. Well, well, I well, guess it depends on what you're saying. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, so what you, that idea was certainly, we know this for a fact, was never articulated before about 300 or 400 years ago. Sure. Never articulated. There's just no record of anybody ever saying this or thinking this, okay? right? Mm-hmm. 
That's a really important thing. You do know that, right? Yes. That's crucial. Okay. So that means like, you know, 1% or less of human history. People, and, and not only that, but 1% of human history, but 1% of the people in the world, even now, probably, are, have articulated that idea. I mean, this is, a, this is a Northern European and American idea. So that means that it has a history. Correct. In other words, if, if, if all of our records show that every single human being back to the first hominid had been talking about property rights being innate, then, okay, you know, even I would be like, well, maybe it does come from nature. Maybe we are born with this thing because everybody's been talking about it. But it's almost the opposite, which is that very, 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 very few people have ever mentioned this idea. Okay, so then the question is, let's look at the history. So when... When was the first time, as far as we can tell, that this was ever uttered, either, either on page or orally? And we know the history of that particular idea goes back to John Locke and the British imperial, empiricists of the 17th century. That's when they came up with it. Well, that's when they first started talking about this idea and laying it out. And for John Locke, it was when you mix your labor with nature the thing that is produced out of that mixture of labor and nature is your right, is your property. You have a right to that property. Mm -hmm. So that's the Lockean theory, right? Right. Of value and, pro and property. And that's it. So therefore, the settlers who came to America from England, who cut down trees and planted crops and grew things out of the ground, that was that land became their property according to Locke, and, and I mean specifically, he actually referenced specifically those settlers. Okay. Unlike the Indians, who didn't really grow anything, didn't make anything, didn't really mix much of their labor with the nature. They kind of just sat on nature, <laughs> and kind of rooted around for grubs and bugs and picked things off of bushes, and that's how they survived. That's you know somewhat true. I mean, it's true enough to make to sustain the theory. But those settlers, we do know, came over here. And made and mixed a whole lot of their labor with a whole lot of the nature that was here in America, and made things from it. And he said that makes it their land, their property. That's it. So that's the origin of that idea. Now you could say, Rollo, that God, since the beginning of time, since Genesis, always had that in mind, right? That he all that God always. God doesn't have ideas, but, you know, God always intended for people who mixed their labor with their with nature to have that as their property. And just human beings didn't know that until 1693. <laughs> it's certainly possible. OK, um, but that's what you have to do to make it to, to ground that claim in anything other than John Locke's ideas. John Locke's mind in the 17th century. OK, so. So we have Locke and then we have the founding fathers who really made it, made that idea that we're talking about property rights famous, uh, internationally famous and on, on which they founded this country by and large, right? In the 18th century, because they all read Locke, all the founding fathers, they all read Locke, that was their main influence. And that's what's underneath the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence and to some extent the Constitution and sort of the, the guiding, not just more importantly, the guiding culture of this country ever since, right? We believe that people who work and create things in this country 
that those are the ones who create real value. Those are the most valuable citizens. That, in fact, makes you a real citizen and a good citizen in this country. That gives you property rights. So that's a, that's an idea with an actual history. So Foucault says, whenever there's a claim like that, just look at the history of it. And then you know it doesn't come growing out of the ground from nature. And I don't actually see it in the Bible. I don't in this case. I certainly don't see this one in the Bible. Maybe you do. But I do see it. In these books, they're written by this by this English philosopher in the 18th and the 17th century. So that's fine. That doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. And this is really important. See, I don't think that means it's bad or wrong at all. It just means it's not from anywhere but human beings. That's all. Well, was it was it from human beings or was it finally? And I'm not necessarily saying that Locke came across ideas correctly or not, but it was just finally figured out. Like, you know, to right. use an example more concrete. Um, you know, we didn't always know that atoms existed or even, even like protons, neutrons, and electrons. And before yep. that was discovered, it didn't mean it didn't exist. Yep. It's just yep. we weren't aware of it. And right. as over time, you know, we, you, we accumulate knowledge as humanity over history and we tend to get better and better. Yep. And we tend to get a better idea of the world and how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. I, I suppose it's easy, much easier to apply that to, you know, science and physics mm-hmm. as opposed to moral philosophies. Right, exactly. So yeah, it's different between, difference between discovery and creation, right? Right. Yeah, so you could say that Locke simply discovered a truth mm-hmm. rather than created it. Totally, gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. So then the question is, if he just discovered it, where, is it, where did it come from? Sure. And I'm not even, I'm not making the claim that Locke has the truth. I think he has a better explanation than previous okay so the better <laughs> yeah so how do you judge it to be better right that's that's when you get into really tricky territory i think that it using that model you have a better chance of having a more peaceful society oh okay well peace is a value right so some, not everybody values peace sure yeah um and obviously in fact, a whole lot of people have not valued peace. Yes. So again, what makes that objective, right? Hmm. Peace is a value. Uh, therefore, uh, first of all, there's an empirical claim whether the <laughs> whether Locke's theory of property rights has created more peace, because a lot of people say it created just the opposite. Right. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, there's. And I'm not even sure what I think about that, but I think there's a hell of a good argument to be made that it's created a hell of a lot of violence, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, it's all subjective. Basically, Rousseau came along right afterward and said just the opposite. He said that private property, I don't know if you've read The Social Contract, but that's precisely the, the argument he makes in that book, is that private property is the cause of everything bad in the world, all the wars, all mm-hmm. the slavery, all the domination, all the violence. Um, and so... France and then later Russia and then uh, and then later China all sort of went in that direction, the Rousseauian direction, by banning private property because they believed that that's what caused all the bad things in the world. And then Western Europe, Northern Europe, and the United States went the Lockean direction, generally speaking, generally speaking, mm-hmm. um, because that was a better way. Now you could say, oh well, look what happened in look what happened in Napoleon's France and in. Stalin's Russia and in Mao's China, huh? Versus what happened in 
America, which has had plenty of violence, but, you know, and Northern Europe since then. And yeah, okay, historically, maybe, you know, you could make a pretty good argument that the Lockean countries have been more peaceful, by and large, than the Rousseauvian countries, that the private property regimes have actually been more peaceful than the, than the anti-private property regimes. That would be a solid argument. But again, I don't see anything there grounded in objective facts or reality. Sure. Oh, that, I mean, it, it's, it's history, I'm sorry, except history. I mean, obviously, the history there is those are objective facts. But the, the idea itself being grounded in anything other right. than mm-hmm. right. locks and minds. Yeah, right. Which is. And, and again, this is subjective, I guess. But um, I do think that and as you said, there's been more. It looks like there's been tending to be more peace among the Lockean private property societies. So if they're able to be more productive and, and gain more wealth and improve their qualities of life, people generally, and again, this is subjective, want to improve their quality qualities of life. Yep. And so that is what will, I think will kind of steer um, humanity mm-hmm. in that direction. So mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't know if it's, I don't know that I want to make, the, that objective claim there that you when when you brought it up that it well see here's the thing guys you don't need to this is what I've been yelling <laughs> at libertarians for years you don't need to make any of the, I said this on the Dave Smith episode yeah yeah you did mm-hmm. you really don't need to do this at all I mean so I run around basically on economics making libertarian arguments all the damn time I never make a moral argument at all and you don't need to right oh, most people. Oh, oh, I I agree with that because I I have that's the other thing I try to do is I try to think of it without having any sort of of morality involved and just seeing kind of what the consequences are. I hate I don't I yeah. prefer to think of it as consequentialism. I hate to call it utilitarianism. There you go. go. Yes, yeah, so you were actually slipping into a consequentialist argument when you said that it's created more peace, right? Oh, right. There you go. That's the way to go. Just just say to people, hey, look, what which would you rather live in? <laughs> which which kind of a society would you rather live in? One in which prop, there is a property rights inscribed in law and enforced, you know, according to law, or not, or just the opposite. And then they'd say, well, I don't know. Communism sounds kind of cool. And then you say, uh, well, okay, great. Then let's look at the history. No problem. So the history of communism, the history of, of societies in which property rights were violated or not um, not respected at all, you know, let's look at that and then look at the the, the countries in which there were property rights, you know? Oh, yeah, well, and that's... Then, then you win the argument, and you're happy, and you go home, and everybody's well, looking. Well, that's why I, I like to have a couple different approaches. So I do... I remember years ago when I was first getting into libertarianism and more of the anarchist side is there was always the consequentialist versus the deontological mm-hmm. arguments, and they were fighting back and forth with each other. What's correct? What's correct? And I said, well, why not use both? Or why not use whatever is going to convince someone? Mm-hmm. Um, if you believe... Both well, that was another question I had for you. Um, is you grew up a communist, correct? Uh huh. And changed your mind. Uh huh. Why? Uh, because, Did you get better information? Because communists um, stink. <laughs> Fair enough. Like almost literally, that's what I mean. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I've said this a lot. You know, that yeah. I just hated communists, the people, like the people. Right. Themselves. That was the first. That was the first reason. Um, yeah, nothing to do with morality. I can tell you that much. Nothing at all. Like, I, um, no, I just I realized, I realized that the people sucked, and that therefore, maybe 
the ideology would bring about a society that sucked similarly. And I'm, and I am correct about that. <laughs> a society that's basically no fun whatsoever, uh, and full of, and just full of work and, <sighs> and drudgery and sameness and homogenization, all the things I hate in, in uh, society. So, uh, it, that's how I came to it. It was uh, purely actually rational in that way. But, um, but it wasn't, I didn't ever make a moral claim one sure. way or the other. In fact, I think it is perfectly fine for, um, for Saudi Arabia to have Sharia law. I think it's neither fine nor not fine. It's just, it's up to them. You know, I don't think, I don't make any moral claims about it. I do know for sure that I do not want to live there. <laughs> yeah. No, I think we say, yeah, I don't, it. yeah, I don't want to speak for, uh, Rallo here, but I, we kind of said the same thing. If that's what they want, then they can have that. Oh, right. So this brings us to the actual, the real disagreement you guys had with me right now. I'm remembering what, where this all started, which was this, my very provocative controversial claim that within the rights is embedded a natural. Duty. Yeah. 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 Right. And, okay. and Locke did make that claim. And I disagree with that, that there, oh. that you have that, that you are, have a duty. There. <laughs> so how do you disagree with that? What do you mean? How is he wrong? That you have a duty to intervene? Yeah. I guess it's, it's, I come from thinking it more, I didn't necessarily come to these ideas through Locke. It was through more the libertarian non-aggression principle kind of thing. Yeah. So uh -huh. the only sure. duty I see that we have to each other is that of non-interference. Yeah. Okay, so I think so it's, I think it would be a good thing to inter like when when someone's hurting someone and you can intervene without causing more uh, yeah. damage. I think it's that's a good thing, but it's not right. a, a an obligation. Yeah. So the NAP is a moral claim. Right? Yes. The moral assertion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well. Okay. So it's you know how can you prove it to be right or wrong? In other words. Uh, Locke has one answer and the NAP has a different answer. They're both moral claims, but there's, it's like, you know, it's, so I believe in, in Allah and you believe in the Christian God. Okay. Now what do we do? You're going to say that I'm wrong and I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I, it, there's nothing you can do about that. It's just a moral claim. You can't prove, there's no evidence, no rationality you can bring to bear in this conversation. Right. And, and no, I, I agree. And also I, I don't, claim that the the non-aggression principle is an axiom either it's more of a guideline okay. for me if that now, makes a difference now if you guys were on your game what you would say right now is <laughs> that weren't you saying that natural duty is embedded meaning it's innate within natural rights isn't there a contradiction in your own <laughs> uh and then i would have to parry quickly and say, uh, yeah, that's not exactly what I meant. Um, but um, no, what I here's what I here's what I most wanted to say to you guys when I was listening to you talk about me. The thing you didn't get, and this is not your fault because I didn't really, I don't think I really expounded on this at all in the interview with Dave Smith, is that here it is: the way that Lockean natural rights, that the doctrine of natural rights generally, were interpreted by American mm -hmm. heads of state and especially foreign policymakers from the get-go, from literally, and I'm actually writing the chapter on this right now, from literally the 1750s, even before they were revolutionaries, and I'm talking about Ben Franklin, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, all those guys, 
we're think from then all the way to well until <laughs> until our current president actually but certainly through obama every single pretty much every single major foreign policy maker in the, in the united states of america has interpreted natural rights as a natural duty to protect hmm. others everywhere in the world from infringements on their natural rights and to ensure that all as many people as possible but ultimately all people have the same rights that americans have because we know as americans that we live in the best society that our rights are not only natural they are correct and proper and the best rights this is the best way to live so it is of course selfish of us to allow other people to live under the heel of despots so that's that i know for absolute sure having studied extensively the history of this and you kind of have to just take my word for it although i'm sure you know enough history that this might be ringing true to you absolutely mm -hmm. okay I mean, so the, the biggest worst state in the world right now well the only thing the only the only exception here is that some some libertarians of the ron paul constitutionalist variety yeah. still seem to think that the founding fathers were the one exception in this that they were they actually uh, were isolationists yeah yeah sure yeah, that is complete bullshit up down and sideways um and i can i'm now literally writing the chapter on this but i'm hardly the first historian to do it there's plenty more than enough evidence of this written by all kinds of historians who are there have been marxist historians libertarian historians liberal historians conservative historians neocon historians all kinds of historians have completely given the light of that those guys the founding fathers almost to a man were imperialist through and through from the time literally i'm not kidding you literally they were teenagers <laughs> which is that they were taught all of them that the roman empire was the highest form of civilization <laughs> and that america should replicate it so and this is well known among dozens of historians i mean this has been written about yeah a lot. I, I have no problem believing that yeah at neither all. do I. I that's not that's not a problem with me okay so so that's so now what I'm saying is that my interpretation of John Locke and natural rights doctrine is not the correct one, because that would be yeah. <laughs> maybe contradicting my own bigger claims, right? About no truth in texts, et cetera. Yeah. I'm just saying that historically, if you just look at the history, it doesn't really matter what my interpretation is or your interpretation is. What matters is that pretty much all foreign policymakers have interpreted it as right. a as a natural duty right that's that's true mm -hmm. I, I mean yeah. i don't have i don't have a problem disagree or I would yeah disagree so that. right and so that's why that's why when libertarians today who are anti-war invoke natural rights as this thing that's going to bring people <laughs> like hello guys <laughs> well <laughs> we, we have to re-educate we'll go re-education re camps to teach people what we mean by natural rights <laughs> yeah well so then when, when commies today <laughs> communism and you say oh yeah well what about maoist china and the soviet union right and the commies come back at you and say well those aren't really that's not really communism right 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 right, uh, right. not real communists yeah we've heard that before and then you're like okay then show me some communism that, that looks good that looks like what you think it does well the th same is true for natural rights i can't see it anywhere applied to foreign policy it has been nothing but empire and war and occupation and death seriously seriously from from the indians in right away to the to the south 
during the Civil War and Reconstruction, to the Philippines, to the and go on and on, all the way through, all the way through Vietnam and through Iraq and Afghanistan, to the very moment we're sitting in right now, yeah, where, where they are teaching literally American-made, American-written textbooks to Afghani children as we speak. Yeah, I, um, I mean, we're we're anarchists, so we don't like any of that yeah. stuff. So, yeah, but I, I know you have to get going soon, so. Um, I'd love to continue talking to you, but I know we got to cut it short. So well, wait a minute. No. Yeah. No, I want to hear your answers to this. Did I win? Uh, no, of course not. No, it's our <laughs> podcast and we're going to vote. Slappy, how do you vote? <laughs> I say, I say the winners are Rollo and Slappy. Come on guys. <laughs> I just, uh, let me well, just, I let do, me I... just, let me just say that I, you know, assuming that that, um, interpretation of Locke is yep. correct. And and that that it does justify it. That's where I'll, I I, I would kind of said before. I think or... that's wrong. Where I think that yeah he he started approaching a yeah. better direction, but he yeah. still didn't wrong. get it. He's still wrong there. And I you know I, I don't okay. want to. That's yeah. That's what I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So so Thad, before you go. Um, every episode we do a free market success story and we know you're working on Renegade University. So if you want to take a minute and just explain to people what it is, um, you can do that. Yeah, it's a great time to talk about it too. I'm really excited. We, uh, we're just about to re, uh, I wouldn't say relaunch. We're going to, we're launching a new set of subscription, uh, subscriptions programs you can, you can do for Renegade University. It's not out yet, but it'll be out pretty soon. Um, and we now have seven courses that are online. You can purchase right now uh, on a variety of subjects. We're even teaching creative writing, and we have people signing up for that class. It's super exciting. Taught by Rebecca Schiff, who's a renowned fiction writer. She was actually on Unregistered, but you know, a very well-reviewed book, um, reviewed in the New York Times and Atlantic Monthly and New Republic, all over the place. And she's teaching a course on creative writing, specifically how to write about sex in fiction, which is pretty cool. And Scott Horton has two lecture courses that are online you can buy. One is on the history of the war on terror generally, and one is on the war on Afghanistan, which he's written a book about. And of course, Scott Horton, is, as many of your listeners know, is like probably the leading expert on those subjects in the whole wide world right now. And I say that with no hesitation, by the way. Mm-hmm. A couple of courses by me, one on actually what we were just talking about. Hey, how about that? Hey, one, it's called... Dangerous Nation. It's a history of the United States and the world foreign policy, early foreign policy from 1776 to 1898. You can buy that online. There is, um, let's see, what else do we have? Uh, we have, uh, oh, of course, oh, yes, a course by me also on uh, sort of my revisionist history of World War II and more importantly, American involvement in World War II and what its consequences were and why, whether it was necessary, American involvement. And we're, yeah, so right now you can go and buy any of those courses you want, a la carte, you know, um, but pretty soon we're going to have subscription programs where you can subscribe to Renegade University and you can buy a series of courses at a great discount and um, take, we're going to have soon, this is very exciting, we're going to introduce office hours so people can actually, when you're a student at Renegade University, you can actually have one-on-one meetings with me and our other faculty we have signed up now five, six, five or six brand new faculty who are going to start teaching courses real soon and on a variety of subjects, including, by the way, John Locke, the theory of, John, of his, the philosophy of John Locke, taught by an absolute genius political philosopher I discovered 
named John Baltus. He's going to be on uh, Unregistered pretty soon in, as well, but he's going to be teaching a course at Renegade University on John Locke and a lot of other courses that are coming out real soon. So RU is taking off, and it's super exciting. I'm guessing it's less expensive than a course at Columbia. Great question. Yeah, it's going to be somewhere between one-tenth and one-twentieth the cost of a class <laughs> Or any really any any sort of so-called elite university, yeah. And you'll probably learn more. Um, you know what? I'm just going to guarantee that. <laughs> well, that... I know. Yeah, I, I absolutely know that people are going to learn. On average, on average, people yeah. are going to learn. Whole... Absolutely. Oh yeah. Well, will you be offering any courses on like tractor repair or, or anything? Well, only because of you, we're going to do a Rollo and Slappy special on uh, tractor repair mechanics. Oh, Perfect. That's awesome. Perfect. We think that's a necessary niche to fill. Yeah. It is. You'll, you'll have the, mar the market at work. There you go. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, can't wait for your new book to come out, too, by the way. Yeah. Hey, guys, th seriously, I really love what you guys are doing. And I, I was truly, truly honored that you uh, – really thought we're thinking so hard about what I have to say. And I, I really, it just means everything to me. Well, thank you so much for reaching out and coming on. And, um, you know, it's, you, you pushed us hard and which is exactly what I wanted. And you certainly gave us a whole lot of, to think about. And we'll probably be coming back. I'll probably write an article or two saying, this is where I think I, I thought back well, on this. And now this is what I want to say now. What so, I should have said. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. It's, cool. it's, uh, I love conversations like this. No, you, honestly, you guys are the best. You're what everybody should be. I wish everybody were like you guys. I'm, Thank I'm you. Completely serious. That would be. That's my heaven. Is when, if everybody were like you. Thank you. Yeah. Much appreciated. Cool. All, All right, right, guys. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night. Absolutely. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. So that was our episode with Thaddeus Russell. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And now, time for the big part of the show. Bum, 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 bum. Rallo, make your your announcement. Okay, so like I said in the beginning episode, we've been talking a lot about how we, we're working on this cool thing that uh, that we're gonna wait till it was ready, and <laughs> it's finally ready. We actually launched it already, but uh, we started the website LibertyMugs.com, and it is exactly what it sounds like. We're selling coffee mugs with libertarian themes on them. So it's a way for us to kind of have some fun. Uh, make fun of basically everyone, including libertarians. I think that's going to be the most fun, is making fun of ourselves. But uh, we'll have a link in the show notes page, mcflugel.com slash 82. Or you can just go directly to libertymugs.com. I've already got a bunch of mugs up there, so check them out. When you buy one, make sure you take a picture of yourself with it and use the hashtag libertymugshots on social media so we can... Uh, See how much you like it. Slappy, do you have any wise words? Oh, we're also offering an affiliate program, which is, I'm trying to set that up right now. So yeah, you, can, you, to, uh, you can make some money off it too. Right. <laughs> so. so you slipped in a tractor reference, which was good. Yes. We got Liberty Mugs out and we had a guest on. So yeah, pretty good episode. So if you haven't already subscribed... Go to the show notes page, mcflugel.com slash 82, and you'll be able to find links to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. And also subscribe to our uh, email newsletter, and we're going to be giving a discount to people 
who sign up on our newsletter to Liberty Mugs, get a little bit of money off to uh, buy some mugs. A little bit of an incentive there. We're capitalists. We understand these yeah. kinds of things. And at, least, so, at least we hope. Yeah, and, and join us next week where we'll be talking about all the things we should have said to Thaddeus <laughs> Russell but didn't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. Be sure to uh, you know like, subscribe, share, do all that stuff. Peace. Okay, we'll catch you next week. Yeah.